are not Gilgimelon based diverse standards, learning mode. We're living in a, an environment where even within the Jewish community, even with a, in our relatively close communities, there's a lot of diversity. The diversity is not just from the cultural backgrounds that we come from. We've got Hasidim and Misnagdim, we've got Ashkenazim and Sfardim, we've got Lithuanian and, and Polish and Hungarian, even among the Sfardim, there's so many different um, origins and sources of Sfardi custom. Uh, but it has certain halachic implications in terms of the differences of minhagim, the differences in our customs, uh, and even in halacha, even differences in the way we decide halacha, particularly when we get together socially. And so we have a halacha in Yoredea Simen Kuf Yudet Siv Zayin, where the Shulchan Aruch says, Mishen Oheg, this is actually the Ramo, Mishen Oheg Be'eze Davar Isur, Mikoach Shesover Shedina Hu Hachi. When a person takes a particularly severe view of, of a practice, there's something that he doesn't eat, because he believes that that is the halacha, this is not just a question of custom and minak, he believes that that is the correct halacha. Or it could be just something he's taken upon himself. He accepts that the halacha is not that way, and anybody who doesn't observe it is keeping halacha 100%, but he's taken upon it uh, upon himself to be more machmir, to take a more severe approach. The question is, may he eat with other people who don't have that same stringent uh, requirement, that, that have a lighter view of that particular issue. There might be a certain food or food that's prepared in a particular way that he doesn't eat. May he eat among people who do eat that food. Uh, it's difficult to understand on the, on the surface what the question is. Just ask them, is the, is the food that you're serving me kosher in terms of, of my observance of the way I stand? Why is that not the obvious solution? But it seems that what we're looking at is that that, that doesn't even come into question. To go and eat with somebody and start interrogating them about where they get their meat and where they get their milk and where they get their... Uh, their bread and how they cook in their kitchens, that's the height of disrespect and, and showing lack of, of trust for another person. The question is either I do eat with them or I don't. So now I'm talking about eating with somebody who doesn't keep my standards of kashrut. They keep standards that are perfectly fine, but they don't keep my standards. Can I eat with them? Says the Shulchan Aruch, yes, you can. Because you are entitled to assume and trust that those people would not serve you up food that they know, according to your standards, you wouldn't eat. Of course, we're talking about a situation where they understand and they know what your standards are. It might be an, a, an Ashkenazi person eating with a Sephardi person or vice versa in a particular area where one of them takes a lighter view of a particular halakha, but the other knows that this person is Ashkenazi and his view of halakha is different. That being the case, we're entitled to assume and expected to trust that because of the prohibition of lifnei iver, that one doesn't put a stumbling block in front of, uh, of a blind person, one doesn't mislead people, as the Shach explains in Sifkot and Kaf, uh, we're entitled and obligated to assume that this person would not willingly give us food which they know is not kosher according to our own standards. And that's taken from the, the Mordechai at the beginning of Yevamot, the Vilna Gon, traces that this din to our Gomorrah in, in Yevamot itself to, to our daf in, in Yevamot. And what we have here 
is the well-known Mishnah, the bottom of your Gimel Amadalif, where we talk about Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel on the question of whether the tsara of an erva is permitted to the, to the brothers. So again, a man passes away, has no children. He has several wives. One of his wives is an erva to the brothers or to one of the brothers. So he might, for example, have married the daughter of his brother. A man is permitted to marry his niece. He might have married his niece. Now that he's passed away, that niece can't have yibum with the man's, with the deceased's brother, um, because that would be an, an isra arayot, that would be a forbidden relationship. What about the man's other wives? We've talked about the fact that all the wives form a team, and the halachot are, are put together to them as a package, not, not individually. So now, does that make it mean that the other wives also are not allowed to have yibum with the brother of the deceased? On that, we have a machloket, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai matirin hatsarot lachim. Beit Shammai says, no, the other wives are, are fine. They can have yibum with their brothers, which means they can also do chalitza. Beit Hillel Ostrim and Beit Hillel says, no, since the one wife is an, an erva, she's forbidden to the brother, all the wives are equally forbidden to the brother. Now, this has some very serious ramifications. For example, the Mishnah goes on to say, what happens if brother does chalitza with one of those tsarot, with the co-wife of an, of an erva? Is she now allowed to marry a kohen? We've learned that midrabonan, a chalitza, somebody who's been given chalitza, is treated like a divorcee, in that she may not marry a kohen. So, the brother of the deceased is Cholets, the tsara, the co-wife of the other wife who is Asur which is a who is a prohibited relationship. Bet Shammai, who held, they're allowed to do Yibum, and therefore the Chalitza is valid. If the Chalitza is valid, this woman is now a Chalutza and may not be able to marry a Kohen. For Beit Hillel, however, the chalitza was irrelevant. It was a, a nonsensical chalitza because she's not fit for Yibum and therefore she's not fit for chalitza either. And therefore, Mashun, she can marry a Kohen. Nothing, nothing has happened to her to damage her potential to marry a Kohen. On the other hand, if Nityabmu, if the brother has Yibum, holding like Beit Shammai, the brother has Yibum with this co-wife of the forbidden relationship, um, uh, now, now what happens, this person, that's a good yibum, but according to Beit Hillel, that is not a good relationship. In fact, it's a forbidden relationship. And then the Mishnah goes on to say, even though Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai have such different views, which can re lead to very different outcomes, halachically in terms of these women and the marriages and their children, the children born out of these marriages. Nevertheless, the members of the school of Beit Shammai didn't stop intermarrying with Beit Hillel's families, nor did the families of Beit Hillel stop intermarrying with the families of Beit Shammai. And Rashi explains the reason. Even though the children of a Yibum relationship where the, where the co-wife is an Isur Arayot, and so the brother went ahead and did Yibum with a co-wife of this Arayot, of this forbidden relationship, 
deciding in the way Beit Shammai does, and those children, if the if the Yabam and this co-wife then have a child, they're mamzerim hem shari Since Yibum is not allowed according to Beit Hillel, this co-wife is the wife of the man's brother. The man who's just done Yibum with her, he's done Yibum with a woman who was his wife's, his brother's wife, and he wasn't permitted to do Yibum according to Beit Hillel. So in that situation, the children from that relationship would be mamzerim. Um, because the, an Eshet Ach, that relationship of marrying a brother's wife is an Isur Karet. That's something for which there's Karet. And where the relationship would yield an Isur is an Isur Karet, where the relationship is forbidden with a prohibition of Karet, the children from such a relationship are mamzerim. That's not the case if the relationship is prohibited just with a regular love. Then the marriage is not permitted to take place, but the children are not mamzerim. In this case, the children are mamzerim because the prohibition is eshet ach, the wife of a brother, and that's a karet prohibition. Um, nevertheless, they married in to each other's families. Explains Rashi, based on the Gemara further on, the reason is because Beit Shammai would tell the Beit Hillel people, this family you shouldn't marry into because they have within the family a situation where the law was decided according to our view, which yielded mamzerim according to your view, and therefore you shouldn't marry into this particular family. So again, Rashi says um, the reason that Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai intermarried is because they trusted that they would be told. But you could ask, if they're, be, if they're told, then what's the big chiddush? What's the big idea that they married into each other's families? Of course they did. They didn't marry people about whom there was any question. Why shouldn't they have married into each other's families when there was, uh, when there was no question about the yichus, about the purity of, of lineage? The, the answer is that they not only didn't they mind marrying into the family, they trusted, they relied, they trusted that Beit Shammai would tell them that this is not something that could be. And this is something that's really important, that, that we have that level of trust and understanding one for another. That even if we come from different backgrounds and even if we hold by different standards uh, of kashrut or other issues, here we're dealing with things that are as serious or even more serious than kashrut, that we rely on the fact uh, that people will have integrity and people will not feed us something which they know, according to our standards, uh, is not in order. Um, it's interesting, the Mordechai uh, brings a case and, and, and says, but th- this applies altogether to people who f- from different cities where there are different minhagim. And he talks about the city of Magenza, which is Mainz, and the city of Germaiza, which is Worms, both of them in, in Germany. And in certain areas of halakha, the one was much more lenient than the other. And therefore, the Mordechai says that when people um, travel from the one city to the other, uh, it, it's important that the people of uh, the, of that area of Benegir Maiza have to inform the others. And then when I inform you that the food I'm about to give you is permitted according to our Minhag here in our town, but according to your, the Rabbonim in your town, this is not in order. 
So I have to tell you that. Once I've told you that, a very big Chiddush, an interesting Chiddush in the Mordechai. If I come from a town that forbids a certain food, I, but I don't really agree with that prohibition. I pr- observe the prohibition out of respect for my town. That's what everybody does in my town. So I go according to the laws and customs of my town. But my own halachic view is, uh, having understood the principles and gone through the halachot and understanding the sources, I don't think it's necessary to be as severe as the communities of my town are. When I travel to another town where it's permitted, says the Mordechai, I don't have to observe the stringent standards of the town from which I come. I may adopt the, the more lenient standards of the town to which I've traveled, which are in fact aligned with my own view of the halacha. Um, so that, that's really very interesting in the, uh, in the Mordechai. The shach on this piece of, of Shulchan Aruch gives an entire analysis and summary of all the different laws, because these are complicated and all revolve around the laws of law Kodudu, of making separate communities um, and practicing halakha in different ways. Uh, the shach goes and gives a summary of the different rules, the different conditions and the different situations. Um, and uh, and that's a very, very useful and important document. But what is important from, from all of this is the two sides of it, that we have a responsibility to treat people according to their standards. And if somebody comes to our home who keeps a higher standard than we do, we either need to up our standard for them so that they can eat whatever we give them or be very careful not to give them anything that wouldn't conform to their own standards. Uh, It's not for us to get resentful about the fact that they keep higher standards than we do and, uh, and for us to judge them or to judge ourselves. It's just a matter of respect for other people to provide for them the standards that they require. But more important is the idea that when we go to somebody else's home, the issue is, do I trust them or don't I trust them? Assuming they know my standards, if they don't know my standards, I have to inform them. But once I've informed them, or if they know my standards, do I trust them or don't I trust them? If I trust them, then I shouldn't ask them any questions. And if I don't trust them, I shouldn't be eating there in the first place. And that's a principle not only in kashrut and in customs in halakha, it's, a, it's an idea in, in, in business, in life, in leadership. Be very careful. We need to be very careful not to micromanage and question people in ways that demonstrate we don't trust them. If we don't trust them, we should be limiting our interactions with them in any event and covering ourselves very carefully. But if we do trust them, we have to learn how to relax and let go a little bit and show them that trust. And it's interesting that people generally are wired. We're just built in such a way that one of the things we hate most is to let down somebody who's trusted us, uh, to disappoint a person who has put their faith in us. And so you'll find that when you do show somebody trust and when you do put your faith in somebody, they usually rise to the occasion. Uh, There was somebody in my father's community in San Jose who told me what an impact it had on them when they invited my parents to a meal and my parents ate. Uh, and when they said to my parents, well, how did you feel about our kashrut? Because normally rabbis uh, in the community previously have not e- eaten in our house. Uh, obviously, my, my father was satisfied that the standards of kashrut were okay. My father said, I know 
that if we eat in your home, you will be meticulously careful with your kashrut from now on, even more careful than you normally are, because so that we can eat in your home. I want you to know that we're willing to eat in your home, that we trust your kashrut, and I am in full confidence that you will raise your levels of kashrut accordingly. And she said to me, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what they did. Um, because that's what happens when you treat people as you believe they, they could be, as you believe they should be, when you show trust and faith in people, generally people live up to that trust and that faith and they show the best of themselves, both to you and to others. 